I opened my Instagram one day and there it was, this video of a guy standing on a ladder holding a big metal plate or something with hundreds of knives attached to it. All the blades are sticking out on one side, facing downwards. The thing looks heavy and terrifying. He's standing there on top of the ladder with this crazy object in his hands and below, in front of him, there is a rectangular structure made out of wood. And inside of it, there are a bunch of balloons. You know, the kind of balloons you'll normally see at a birthday party. They're all squished and pile up on top of each other inside this wooden structure that is keeping them all in place. And then this guy leans forward and, and he just lets go of the knives. In a matter of seconds, all the balloons are dead. They're gone. The video out of place. And I watch it again. And again. And again. Who is this guy? I tap on his profile, Jan Hacken Eriksson, visual artist and balloon destroyer. Hmm. I scroll through some of his videos and I watch him indeed destroy balloons with all sorts of pointy things. Nails, broken glass, knives, a handsaw. And he does it in the most unnecessarily complicated of ways. The whole thing is so absurd and fascinating, I can't stop watching. I watch, I don't know, 15 of his videos in one go. Eventually, I look him up and I find out he lives in Norway, not too far from where I am. A few months later, I'm on my way to meet him in his studio in Oslo. I'm Gus Guerrero, and this is Curious Neighbors. Okay, so before we pick up the story in Oslo, let me bring you up to speed very quickly, just in case you missed the intro episode to this podcast. So for the last five and a half years, I've been interviewing all sorts of creative people from all over the Nordics. Designers, photographers, chefs, artists, writers, architects, you name it, hundreds of them. And I've been talking to them to get a sense of how, how everyday life in each of these places, you know, each of the Nordic countries, might have influenced their character, their thinking, and the way that they approach their creative work. And early this year, while going through my archive and listening back to some of those conversations that I recorded years ago, I started wondering about these people that I interviewed and whatever might have changed in their lives since we talked for the first time. So the idea of the show is that I will revisit a moment that I captured on tape during one of those conversations, and then I'll try to catch up with that person again to find out how things turn out to hear how their perspectives might have changed, and to see how much or how little whatever happened in the meantime has influenced their creative work. That's the idea. And to kick things off in this first episode, I want to go back to a conversation that I recorded with the Norwegian artist Jan Eriksson, whom I interviewed in Oslo back in 2019. To be honest with you, I've chosen to start here because, well, partly because I love Jan's work and, and I really enjoyed our conversation, but also because I... I already had everything I needed to put this episode together, long before I even, even knew I'd be making this podcast at all. I'll explain what I mean in a minute, but for now, here's what you should know. I arrived in Oslo on January 26, 2019, and I, I met up with Jan in his studio the next day. He was very friendly and welcoming. I remember he made some coffee, put some snacks on the table, and then I turned my recorder on and we spent the next couple of hours talking about, you know, well, about all sorts of things, really. Jan told me about his memories of growing up in Norway during the 80s, about getting into skateboarding as a kid at a time where skateboarding was actually illegal in Norway. Did you know that? 
Norway, of all places. Anyway, and then he got interested in drawing, and eventually he built up the confidence to go into Art Academy, where he felt like he was given the freedom to do whatever he wanted to do. That's how he remembers it. And it was maybe in the second or third year of Art Academy, he said, that he started getting more interested in the dangerous aspect of things and interested in destruction. However, it wasn't until 2006, a couple of years after graduating from Art Academy, that he actually got around making his first destruction video. It was called Lights Out, and it was a video installation where he basically, he basically destroyed a bunch of lamps with, with a big stone. And, you know, these kinds of videos that he was making, he would usually show them in art galleries and art festivals. But it was kind of frustrating, Jan said, because sometimes, you know, he would spend months working on something without even knowing whether he would get to show it or not. But then in 2010, along came Instagram. And all of a sudden, Jan didn't have to worry about galleries or festivals or anything like it. Now he could just make a video knowing there would be an audience for it online. Now he could just walk into his studio and try something out, like destroying balloons for the hell of it and see what happened. It was never like a plan from my side that uh, now I'm going to destroy balloons. It was just uh, by chance that I was uh, kind of fed up with working on things for so long and I just wanted to entertain myself basically and I just made the first video just for myself and then I was just, okay, I want to make this destruction thing and then I have to have something to destroy and then I happen to have a balloon and I say, yeah, I'll just uh, destroy a balloon and then yeah, I can't be bothered putting up a proper camera, I'll just film it with my iPhone and then I just did that and then I said, okay, it's on my iPhone, so why not publish it on Instagram and then show it to my friends and my friends thought it was funny, so then I made another one and another one and it just kind of grew out from that. Yeah. And before I've always had like started making something to destroy something and then, then the, the something has always been a problem like what am I supposed to destroy because I, I was always interested in making the thing that destroys and then balloons are just like an easy answer to that it's like easy to destroy it and it also gives it kind of a comic relief like the really aggressive part of my art can be a bit too much sometimes and then gives it a more fun aspect. I like the fact that Jan says that he was always interested in making the thing that destroys. Because that's exactly what I love the most about his work. Not what he destroys, but how he destroys it. His method. You know, sometimes it's just him and his body doing the destroying. But more often than not, he does it with the help of some kind of machine that he built specifically for each performance. To me, to me, there's something about these machines that makes them look both primitive and sophisticated at the same time. Primitive, sophisticated, <laughs> and way more complicated than it needs to be. Which, as you'll hear, is not always as premeditated as you think. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all, I always want to take the shortcuts and I always want to make it the easiest way I can make it. And then sometimes it just happens to be very difficult to do what I want to achieve. So then the machines become more complex. But uh, I always start out with thinking, okay, I'm just going to do this. It's going to take five minutes and then it's, I'm going to film it. And then suddenly a few hours later, it's like, ah, <laughs> it didn't take five minutes. But I, I never kind of know this before I start because it's always a process. So I just uh, start in one end and I end up in another. I just, I never have like a clear plan. Yeah. yeah. And was that, were you always... Um... Uh, interested in crafts and carpentry and so on or was that 
something you had to learn in, only, in order to articulate some of these ideas? Yeah, I mean, uh, in my first project I was uh, really not good at uh, carpentry <laughs> and a lot of my work was about uh, like a rebellion against this uh, idea of the man as a practical person who fixes things because I was like completely useless at these things but then over the years I've actually gained uh, a few of the those things that I was rebelling against and now I'm not that useless anymore I'm not very good uh, but I, I I managed uh, to handle some of these machines and make some of those things. But uh, so I, I've gotten better and now it's not a rebellion anymore, it's more more embracing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what what was it about not being very good at it that that bothered you? Yeah, yeah, it bothered me because uh, it was just this idea about how you're supposed to be when uh, you're male and you're kind of the, the head of the family and you're supposed to fix things and do things and I just, yeah, I didn't feel at home at that at all. <laughs> so, so that was kind of a frustration of uh, not being able to put up IKEA whatever <laughs> so I was like kind of feeding on that aggression and then yeah, kind of feel yeah can you tell me a little bit more about that aggressive part of your work what is the what do you want to express with that if anything yeah it's, it's just a fascination that's always been there basically so it's not like I have a, this big agenda or anything with it so it's just uh uh, I like to destroy <laughs> 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 and uh, I, I, I like the juxtaposition of uh, taking an ordinary object that you're used to seeing every day and then transforming it to something dangerous or, or and then making you see this object in a different way that you have before but uh, basically it's just about the joy of destroying things ah the joy of destroying things <laughs> What Jan just said, you know, this idea of turning an ordinary object into something dangerous, that's probably the thing that made me curious about his videos in the first place. When you watch his performances, you get this feeling that something can go wrong. You know, there is this uneasy sense of danger, at least in some of them. And that's actually what this particular moment I want to go back to is all about. You see, after the interview was done, you know, we were wrapping things up and I asked Jan if I could take some pictures of his studio and he said yes, so I spent a few minutes doing that. But my recorder was still on. You know, I usually don't turn it off until I'm really ready to leave because as soon as you turn it off, people would say something that you wish you had recorded. So I do my best to keep it running until the last minute. Anyway, I'm, I'm taking some pictures and I see that crazy sculpture with all the knives through it. You know, the one that Jan was using in that first video that I saw back in 2019. I see this thing laying there on a windowsill, I remember. And it just made me wonder if there been any situations during the process of recording his videos where Jan felt like maybe things had gotten a little bit uncomfortable. You know, if there'd been a moment in which he came close to crossing the fine line between destruction and self-destruction. Let's pick up the tape from there. I try to kind of respect all my ideas and just, I try to do everything. Like if I have an idea, I, I find I, I have to do it. Looking back, which one has been the most dangerous one that you've done that you said, okay, that went on well, but I probably should not try to do that again. I had this uh, one with uh, where I had a spaghetti beard and like a mask with spaghetti on it 
and I had this uh, big knife with a bungee cord on it. Yes, uh, you heard that right. He wanted to shave a beard that he made out of spaghetti using a knife attached to a tightly stretched bungee rope. <laughs> anyway. So I stood like this and I had the knife here and then and it went with the bungee cord like and that was just very scary. <laughs> so that was, uh, yeah, so I really don't want to do that again. But I had actually had to do it over and over again because I couldn't get the spaghetti cut in the right way. So I have a video out there on Instagram where I do it over and over again. And, and you can see I'm scared. <laughs> and, and one of the reasons it's not going well is because I'm scared. I mean, because I, I mean, it's, uh, it's far away from actually cutting me, but you feel like this is so dodgy, insanely stupid, really. Did your parents or your family get worried when they see some of the, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 some yeah. of the executions yeah, that yeah, you do? Yeah, 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 of course. They do? Of course. Yeah. What do you answer to them? It's, it's okay. It's <laughs> not, not a problem. <laughs> nothing to worry about. Yeah, nothing to worry about. I mean, I usually, usually know what I'm doing, sort of. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I see some of your videos and I'm like, that was yeah. a close call. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. of it looks like it, so. Yeah, yeah. Great. Cool. This was nice, Jan. Thank you so much for taking the time yeah, no to show me around. That was it. I packed my stuff, I said my goodbyes, and I headed back to Copenhagen. Then, a year later or so, I saw something on Jan's Instagram. He posted something, and I knew right away that I had to talk to him again. Or at least, I had to try to talk to him again. And to be fair, Jan didn't really have a good reason to agree to a second interview, but he kindly did. So we got on Zoom, and he told me all about this crazy thing that happened to him. And uh, I recorded that call. You know, the call that you're about to hear now, I recorded it with Jan's consent, of course, but without really knowing whether I'll use it for anything or not. And that's what I meant earlier. Turns out that without realizing it, I was gathering the material to put this episode together long before the idea of making this podcast even crossed my mind. Or maybe, maybe it worked the other way around, and it was this moment in particular that sparked the idea for the podcast, and I'm only, I'm only fully realizing that now. In any case... Here's my conversation with Jan Hakon Eriksson. I caught up with him back in 2021, two years after that first interview. Hey, Jan. Hello, hello. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. So, yeah, sounds everything. Yeah, all good. And you? Yeah, fine, fine. Nice to see you. It's been a while. I think it was 2018 that we that we spoke, yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, and I was just going through our conversation uh, the other day, and you know, towards the end of our discussion last time, uh, we were talking about how dangerous it could be sometimes some of the things that you yeah. were doing in your videos. And back then, you said that you know, so far things have been going fine and and not really major situations. Yeah. But then after we talk, you had yeah, a... Yeah, that didn't last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, that, those were the good times when, when I didn't think anything could hurt me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah and I was really wondering, I was wondering if, I mean, two years later, I, I thought how things changed. And I was just wondering if you could talk about what happened 
because of course we haven't spoken, we, we haven't yeah. talked since then. Um, all I saw was um, a few pictures on, on Instagram, but it seemed like it was yeah. a pretty serious accident. Would you mind talking about yeah. it? Yeah, no, I can talk about it. it was, yeah, it was quite serious. Um, I had uh, this sculpture with uh, like 400 knives going through a board. And I had that standing on the windowsill with the knives going out. And it was just, I didn't think about it. It was just on the windowsill. It kind of looked cool when people came by and was like, look at this. I think, yeah. So, and then I was doing something else. I was uh, balancing on something that was really sketchy. Uh, making a video and then I fell and then I fell straight onto the knife sculpture with my hand like this I cut myself on both hands and in my face so if I hadn't kind of gone like this it would have been a disaster yeah so I was bleeding from both hands and then (laughs) I felt so lost Uh, but I managed to call an ambulance and uh, they took me to the ER and then Yeah, I'd cut my uh, nerve and my tendon. So yeah, yeah, I don't know if you can see, but I have like this big scar here. Wow. Yeah, because I had to operate and then stitch together the, the nerve and the tendon. And I still, yeah, I mean, I have most of my feeling back, but not all of it. And I have most of my movement back, but not all of it. So it's kind of like 90% or something like that. Yeah, so I mean, it doesn't cause me any problems because uh, I was, I mean, I was lucky because it was my little finger and my ring finger that was affected. I mean, I sliced part of this finger off, but that was easy piece to fix. So I just stitched up and I cut some small cuts in my face, but again, really lucky. Didn't <laughs> cause any damage. So, I mean, this was the best case scenario. I mean, I, I hurt something on my left hand that I don't really. I mean, I'm right-handed, so it's not that serious. It doesn't cause me any troubles uh, now. So I was really, really lucky. I mean, I could have died. I mean, <laughs> I could easily fall like this and cut my throat or something. So it could have ended really badly. And I was all alone in the studio, so there's no one here. And yeah, I could have gone so wrong. Holy so, shit. So many levels. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then I posted about it on Twitter just to kind of say, okay, you want to see posts from me in the next uh, few weeks, probably. And then that post went viral. So I was like, <laughs> the next few days, I was like answering all kinds of media and uh, doing interviews and stuff. So that was, uh, that was really strange. Yeah. Wow. So you basically, so you were standing, take me again through what was happening that day. So... What do you remember of that day before the accident exactly? Were you just in the in the studio hanging out like you normally do? Yeah, it was a normal day. I was just, uh, at the time, I was working on a series of uh, videos where I kind of put furniture together and kind of used it in different ways, some balancing and stuff like that. So I'd like, put uh, a ladder onto... I can't really remember, but it was a kind of a ladder going like a bridge and I was going over the bridge. And then at the end, I was kind of going, it was onto a step ladder and I was just going down and then I tripped and then I fell forward. And I was like, I was actually going to film it on Instagram live. And I, so, yes, I was just testing it out. So luckily I, I didn't do it uh, <laughs> on Instagram live. That would be. Yeah, that would not have been good. Yeah. Wow. And so uh, you fall, you fall basically with your hands in front of you uh, yeah, yeah. onto this sculpture with 
400 and something knives knives yeah yeah. it was just standing out like i mean i always kind of have calculated risk when i do a stunt like that time i thought okay i might fall and maybe worst case scenario i'll i'll sprain my wrist or really unlucky i might break something but not very plausible that that would happen so i didn't even think about the that i could fall onto a knife sculpture it was just not in my mind so it's like yeah it was so kind of bizarre and like when it happened i was like no no this this isn't happening how how is this happening (laughs) <laughs> and I was like blood virtually everywhere because I was bleeding from both hands so it was like blood everywhere first I tried to kind of fix the situation myself and I kind of went into the bathroom and just got lots of paper wrapped around and I was like okay this isn't stopping it so okay what what to do what to do and then I tried to call my girlfriend and because uh, <laughs> she was home because of COVID so she came running down but uh yeah, she said, I, I mean, uh, you have to call the ambulance. So, so while she was running down, I called the ambulance, uh, but she came here before the ambulance. But uh, yeah, so that that was, um, yeah, messy experience. And she had to clean up all the blood. <laughs> so, not good. Not Jesus good. Christ. And um, at some point after that, did you consider just not keep doing what you were doing like was there a moment where you yeah. felt you maybe should leave it yeah i mean for, for a long while i tried to not use knives but uh, yeah that was just uh, i mean the problem wasn't really me using knives in the video it was me letting it stand out in the open uh, so and then I, i've just gone back to doing things like i used to but uh yeah tried to kind of think a little bit more about security but uh for sure, for a long while, I was thinking, okay, I, I'll stop with the kind of dangerous objects, but uh, it didn't last because it was for a long while. I was just, okay, I should be using a knife for this, but I will use something else. Uh, I mean, a screwdriver isn't, <laughs> isn't a knife, but it is also dangerous. So, so it, it just became silly. So I just, I'm back to using knives. Yeah. What is it about knives that 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 you like? I mean, it's just kind of uh, you. It's about the kind of immediate when you see a knife in a video, you think danger at once. Like if you see uh, a screwdriver, and like I, I use a lot of videos with screwdrivers instead of uh, knives, it kind of does the same job, but it doesn't look as dangerous in the videos. It doesn't give you that signal. It's not like like a knife is like a snake. If you see a snake, you go, ah, you see a knife, you go, ah, it's, it's, you kind of associate it with dangers. So I kind of play with what people associate these objects. And uh, yeah, so I, I kind of need that immediate because my videos are like three or four seconds. I mean, you kind of need that immediacy. Uh, and yeah, you need objects to kind of have a strong signal and order to them. So yeah. What what did your family say? Like, did your did, did your family at some point said, "Look, Jan, you know, no more danger for the likes." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, my parents, especially my mom, has been a bit concerned, but it, it hasn't been a lot of that really. And, and my girlfriend, she was, uh, yeah, she wasn't happy about the situation, of course, but uh, yeah, no, no, they're supportive <laughs> for the most, yeah. 
what about what about your recovery so after you after your the, the ambulance arrives mm. and you know what what happens after that so they take you to the hospital uh, and yeah yeah they took me to the hospital and then first they, they kind of just stitched me up so uh, and then sent me home and then i had to come back uh, i think it was the day after or the day after that and then do a surgery And then, but it was just day surgery, so I went back home again. So I was only in the hospital for like a few hours uh, each time. But I, I mean, it was a lot of stitching the first day. <laughs> that, that felt like ages. Uh, the next time I was, uh, wasn't conscious when they did the surgery. So that felt like just in and out, but probably a few hours then too. But uh, yeah. So, and then I was uh, months and months of exercises and going back to the hospital to get physical therapy for my hands so i was doing that for ages it felt like but you're feeling uh, better yeah. you're feeling better now yeah 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 of course uh, it's, it's much better i mean i still kind of lack some of the mobility and some of the feeling but uh, yeah it, it doesn't bother me yeah it's uh, I, i consider myself lucky <laughs> it's so much worse wow what a moment i'm ha i'm glad that you're doing okay do you feel like you um Do you become self-conscious now? Like, do you think, is that is that a little bit more present in your mind now? Yeah, I mean, when I had the accident, I started looking back at all the kind of almost accidents and I saw how a lot of them could have gone really wrong if uh, <laughs> I'd just been lucky. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still doing the same st stupid stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I can have another accident easily, but uh, Yeah, uh, but I think I learned a little, so probably won't be as bad. So that was that. It was it was good talking to Jan again. I was just reading through the message that he posted on Instagram back in April 2020. As I said, he posted something on Instagram to let people know about what happened. And he um, says here that the injuries that he suffered in his hands required 25 stitches, plus the surgery on his left hand to fix an issue with his pinky finger, which he couldn't really move after the accident. He also got two minor cuts on his chin, which is why he said that things could have ended really badly. I mean, it doesn't take much imagination to picture what could have happened if he would have landed on top of 400 knives head first, right? Um, he didn't bring this up during our chat, but, you know, the irony of this whole thing, the irony of this whole thing is that back when this happened, he actually hadn't been using knives in his videos for a while. You know, he had been avoiding using knives precisely because he didn't want to have an accident during a pandemic, which, as you know by now, he unfortunately did. I um I texted him, I texted Jan a few days ago to ask how he was doing, you know, to hear how his hand was doing, his recovery. And uh, he said that his hand is okay, not 100%, but he doesn't think about it too much in his everyday life. That's what he said, which I guess is a, a good thing. Um, what else? That second conversation with Jan, you know, made me think of something that I talked about with Ellen Sandsetter, a Norwegian professor and researcher that I interviewed last year. She's been really interested in children's risky play. You know, that is the kind of physical, active play that is exciting and thrilling for children to engage in. But also, you know, the kind of physical play where if something goes wrong, there is a potential for injury or even death if things got really, really wrong. And um, back in 2005, 
Ellen started doing, you know, she started working on her PhD thesis. She went out to preschools in Norway and she started doing observations and interviews with children to try to explore and find out what was risky play and, and how it could be classified. And she ended up identifying six types of risky play, six categories, which are now commonly known as sunsetters, six categories of risky play, which, by the way, have been very influential all over the world, I think, in shaping people's understanding of the importance that this kind of physical play can have on children and on the value of helping kids learn how to manage risk through play. Anyway, one of the categories that she identified is play with dangerous tools. And this is a curious one because here in the Nordics, it's not unusual for kids in schools and even preschools to be allowed to use knives and hammers and nails. You know, they'll be out in nature carving wood with an eye for building something with these dangerous tools. And, and this is the kind of play, Ellen told me, that researchers don't tend to find that often in other countries. And when I asked her why that could be, Ellen suggested that perhaps our very good healthcare systems here in the Nordics might have something to do with it. You see, if a kid gets injured playing in school or in a public playground, for example, they can be taken to the hospital and, and the medical bills are probably going to be very affordable, if not free. Whereas in other countries, like in the US, for example, where the healthcare system is not as supportive, you could actually go bankrupt as a family because the medical bills are just pretty insane. And so that creates another problem, litigation. You know, you start pointing fingers, suing each other for injuries, because if you don't have the money to pay for the medical bills, you'll have to find somebody else who can. And so I guess that my, my point is that I think... I think we can have a more relaxed attitude towards danger and risk here in the Nordics because we can afford it, you know. And it just made me wonder whether Jan would approach his art practice in the same way if he was based somewhere else, you know, where the, where the chances of getting injured doing one of his stunts not only would carry a physical risk, but also a financial risk as well. And uh, I, wish, <laughs> I wish it had occurred to me to ask him that back then. But I didn't. So maybe that's something for another time. Um, one last thing. If you are in Oslo, I think that you should consider you should consider going to see the Acquired Taste exhibition at Hos Arni. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Hos Arni is an art space gallery, I think, in Oslo. There will be, among other things, a screening of a video compilation one hour and 35 minutes, hundreds of clips that Jan has filmed between November 2017 and today. The exhibition runs until January 7, 2024. I will put a link in the show notes to that, along with links to some of the things that we talked about throughout this episode. So if you're curious, make sure to check them out. And um, yeah, now I guess it's just time for the credits. Curious Neighbors is hosted and produced by me, Gus Guerrero. Executive producer, Katrina Garcia Maspia. Visuals by Louis Montes. Music by Psyche, courtesy of Four Flies Records. You can listen to their debut album on Spotify and Bandcamp, or you can also buy the record on the Four Flies website, fourfliesrecords.com. Special thanks to Jan Hakon Eriksson. You can follow him on Instagram at Jan Eriksson, or you can visit his website, janhacken.com. We'll be back with another episode soon. Thank you for listening. <laughs>